Is everybody good tonight? Everybody enjoying our nice spring weather? I put my coat back in storage. I figured I'm not going to need it anymore this year. A <laughs> uh, couple things I'd like to, to ask you to keep in prayer. One of those is uh, Patricia had talked to me on Sunday about uh, checking in to seeing if there was any opportunity uh, for us to uh, maybe send some people or s- someone uh, to Haiti to help out. Uh, I called a friend of mine who uh, works with a man named Kermit Alexander, who runs an orphanage in Port-au-Prince, and uh, he indeed does need help. So uh, Friday morning we'll have a conference call um, between uh, ourselves, Joshua Springs, and another church out in Riverside, and uh, and talk about you know what are the possibilities of and what can be done. So. Uh, if you keep that in prayer, I'd appreciate it, and uh, the Lord would just guide us and lead us. Where He wants us to go, we go. Where He doesn't, we don't. So uh, if you'd remember to, to lift that up and uh, and pray about that. The good news is, um, I don't know how much damage was at the orphanage, but all the kids that were getting ready to be adopted are all being flown to the States right now, and their adoption is going through. Uh, so they are expediting adoptions right now out of out of Haiti uh, and from that orphanage. But he's got a whole new batch of kids coming in. So, uh, so you know, maybe it's a neat opportunity for us. Uh, and if you're interested in being a part of it, let me know. And uh, then, then I'll have some of that information on Friday morning when I talk to him. So uh, keep that in prayer. Tonight, we have the incredible opportunity to begin the book of Leviticus. And so if you want to open up with me, we're going to take a look. I hear all the excitement over the book of Leviticus. You should be excited. Let me tell you why you should be excited. When we look at this, go back with me to the Gospel of Luke. Jesus has been crucified. The disciples are depressed, dejected. They think the last three years has been a waste of time. You know, what's going on? I can't believe... We thought this was the Messiah. And the Gospel of Luke tells us that there were two disciples, unnamed, that were on the Emmaus Road. So they're walking down the road, and you remember the story, right? They bump into Jesus. And so they say, man, Jesus says, why are you guys so downcast? Why are you so down? And they said, haven't you heard? Where have you been, under a rock? Didn't you know that the, there was this the man named Jesus who... We had hoped was the Messiah, but now that hope was extinguished. So they had lost hope. And as Jesus walked with them down the way to Emmaus, you know what the scripture says next? He began at Moses to tell them all the things that the Messiah was to suffer. That means he began in the first five books of the Bible and Jesus himself taught though i wish we had his teaching he taught those two disciples on that journey all about everything that the messiah was to do to suffer to die beginning in the first five books of the pentateuch and when we take a look at it what does genesis teach us we back up for a moment and look at it what does genesis tell us genesis tells us the ruin of man 
We see original sin. We see the fall of man. We see man condemned. What do we see in Exodus? Man redeemed. What do we see in Leviticus? In Leviticus, we see man commune. The reason why I think Leviticus is so important is this. In Genesis, I would say that the, the most important thing, that to me, the greatest joy that God ever had was walking with Adam in the cool of the evening. And that was lost when Adam fell. In Leviticus, it is regained. In Leviticus, God teaches us how we can have communion with him. How we can have that closeness, that time of worship. Now, what we have to do when we study is we've got to back up and do like Jesus did. We want to see Jesus in the scriptures. We want to see Jesus step forward. We're going to study as we begin tonight. Now, I don't think we'll get through the first seven chapters. We'll see. But we're going to look at the, the five sacrifices that were to be given. And each of those five sacrifices points to Christ and what he did for us on the cross and speaks to us about how we can have communion with him. How can we have a relationship that's not just about tradition or words on a page? How can we have that depth of relationship that God wants to have with us? And he's going to lay it out for us in the book of, of Leviticus for us. We can see it. As we take a look at it, it's, it's kind of cool because the book of Leviticus begins like this. Now the Lord called. Now if we stop right there, via cuata. Via cuata is called. That's what the name of Leviticus is in Hebrew. Via cuata speaks of or just says to the called. To the called. Reminds me of a Greek word. In fact, the Greek word is used for that same phrase in the Septuagint is the word ecclesia. Ecclesia is the word for the church. Because the church is who? The called. That's the name of this book in the Hebrew. To the called. And it begins like this. And God called. So this is a continuation, right? We finished up Exodus. We got to the, to the part where we're talking about their bringing in the offering and they're building the tabernacle. Now we're going to deal with one 30-day period of time from Leviticus 1 through to the end, one 30-day period of time where God's going to lay out, how can I have communion with you? How can I draw near to you? And all the answers that we're looking for today in the new covenant are shadows or pictures painted for us in the old. We can begin to see and say, no, I can apply these same things. Now, you and I, we're not going to go sacrifice a bull. Well, sort of. I mean, tomorrow I'm going to sacrifice one. Not a whole one, but maybe a steak or two from one. But the Lord lays out for us, when we look at the sacrifices, He wants us to recognize the depth of of not only obedience, but service and uh, that spiritual connection that we can have with him. So we're going we're gonna to jump into it. And as we take a look, as we crawl in, what we're going to see on these, these first seven chapters is first, the awfulness of sin. Keep this in mind. When you look at all the sacrifices, every single one of them, they were teaching us three things. One, the awfulness of sin. 
that sin destroys, that sin ruins, that sin obliterates everything that's good. And it's important. I think we lose touch with that today because we play with sin. But you go back to this young boy growing up in his father's home, and when he became of age, he would go to his fa- with his father to the temple or to the tabernacle, and they would walk there with this little lamb. This lamb that was part of their flock, part of who they were and what they were about. And the father would take that son to the, the, the door, the opening of the, of the temple or of the tabernacle, right at that place, and they would put their hands together on that lamb. And they would, in essence, confess, transfer, confess my sin. And that sin would be imputed now to that animal. And while that boy's hand was on the lamb, he would cut its throat. And he would see firsthand what sin does. It became an object lesson for him over and over and over again. Now, today we don't have that object lesson. We enter into a a period of grace and we begin to lose sight of the awfulness of sin. I mean, what's the big deal? It's just a little thing I'm doing, right? But if we were like that boy standing in front of the temple cutting the throat of that animal, it would change the way we were thinking about the things we are doing and the choices we are making. Folks, if we want to enter into a deeper communion with God, we've got to have that sense of what sin is all about back. Not to condemn us, but that it would, it would help us in, as we step forward, as we walk with God, we understand, hey, what, what, why don't I want to do this again? Why don't I want to be wandering down this path? Why do I want to consecrate myself to holiness? Folks, when we look at the book of Leviticus, you're going to hear that word some 88 times. Holiness. Holy. 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 Why? Because God says, be ye holy, how? As I am holy. You be as holy as me. That's God's call to us. So if we're going to do that, if we're going to enter into that communion, the first thing we want to see as we go through these offerings is the awfulness of sin. Then we want to come to the graciousness of God. Because sin is awful, and God being a just God has every right to punish sin, right? But he, he provided for the children of Israel and you and I atonement. He provided atonement a covering, a washing, to purge the sin. It wasn't something God had to do, but it was something God chose to do. So as we look, first, I need to understand the awfulness of sin. Then I've got to understand the graciousness of God. If I don't understand the awfulness of sin, I don't get the grace. And I'm like, well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about what Jesus did? What's the big deal about sin? I never asked him to die on the cross for me. We can see that that sense that develops in people that don't have the proper view of the awfulness of sin. And if they don't, they can't grasp the, the graciousness of God. I must be confronted with the fact that I am a sinner if I am to understand grace. In order for me to be saved, I have to know I'm a sinner. Be confessed with your mouth. Believe in your heart. So I've got to understand that. And then I have this understanding of what an incredible gift it is. And when we understand how incredible the gift is, it, it helps us 
not to trample his blood. Would you agree? If I understand the preciousness of the blood, I, I, we were talking about the passion earlier today, and, and I was reminded of, of a scene in the passion. Perhaps you guys remember when Jesus had been flogged and his blood's everywhere, all over the floor, all over the ground. And his mom and uh, um, Mary of Magdalene, they, they go up and they start sopping up the blood. And I had a lot of people, when, when Passion came out, we rented a theater. We had it showing on five different theaters, and we just were giving away tickets, mostly on base, uh, where we were, Kathy and I were ministering at the time. But we, we had people coming in. We were there to answer questions. And one of the questions they had is, why were they doing that? What was that all about? And I shared with them, you know, that the blood of Jesus Christ was so precious. And you see the Roman soldiers just trampling through it like it's nothing. Like, ground's just dirty. What's the big deal? But to those who knew him, it was so precious. They didn't want people just trampling through it. If we understand the graciousness of God, it affects the choices that I make because I value the sacrifice. Hey, the world's full of people who don't value the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, right? We can see it every day, people who don't value. So as I look at these sacrifices, that's one of the things that teaches me. The graciousness of God, God's covering in my life, God's willingness to forgive. So we want to grasp that. We want to hold on to that concept as well. And then thirdly, it's going to teach us all the way through the sacrifice of Christ. Each of these offerings that we're going to go through points to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And they teach us about what God gave for us. So that as we grasp these principles, you and I can enter into communion with him. I cannot enter into communion with God. I cannot enter into that fellowship, koinonia with him, if I don't understand those things. It's all a mystery to me. It, it doesn't make any sense. But if I understand those things, I can enter into that relationship. So we want to have eyes to see as we go through tonight. First, the Leviticus is laid out to the called. To the called, you and I. And these are the lessons that the Lord has for us this morning. So let's look. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. First thing that we need to realize. We're going to talk about the burnt offering. The burnt offering here is the first one. It's going to speak of our commitment to God. On a burnt offering, everything's burnt. It's hard to be half committed in such a thing. You're either all on the altar or you're not. So it's a total, complete, utter commitment to him. But this animal had to be obedient to men. That's what he said. That's what he said, isn't it? He said it must be of the herd or of the flocks, not a wild animal, not a wild beast, not something you trap or something you hunt. This is something that has grown up in your flock. This is something that is a part of, of what you do. And when you consider that, first thing he says is that it's got to be part of the herd or part of the flock. He points to the obedience of Almighty God when he came and he presented himself as perfect man and perfect God and he laid himself in obedience to mankind. 
God let man judge him. Can you imagine such a thing? He was obedient to men. Can you imagine when he was 12 years old? You think he was, he, he knew more than his parents at that point? He's probably the first time a teenager ever knew more than his parents. It's not the first time they thought they did. But it was the first time it was true. But what does the Bible say about Jesus? He presented himself in obedience to them. He honored his mother and father. He was obedient to men. Let's take a look. It's of the herd and of the flock. And then in verse 3. In, if his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. You're going to see this over and over and over and over. You need to grasp it. It had to be one, a male. A male. Responsibility. Man was finally going to take responsibility for the fall. The first Adam, when when he was faced with the responsibility for sin, who did he blame? Eve. (laughs) So he says, hey, uh, Lord, it was the, the woman you gave me. But the second Adam, he's, gonna, he's going to become sin. He who knew no sin will be sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He's going to do that perfect work. So first a male, second without blemish. What does that mean? You didn't give your junk. You didn't give your junk. Did God give us his junk? Did he look around in heaven and, and look for the redheaded stepchild to send down to us? No, he looked around and he, and he took the best, his best he gave. And what does he call us for? To give our best. The very best that we have to give. The best that we have. As you hold your finger here, flip with me to Malachi. It's the last book, uh, last book of the Old Testament. So if you get to Matthew, turn left. You go to Malachi chapter 1. Beginning at verse 7. It says this. 1 verse 7. You offer defiled food on my altar. But you say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably? Says the Lord of hosts. I have always marveled at what people will give the church. Most of the time, at least in my experience in in California, they, they would have a car that was like ready for the junkyard, but it would cost them too much money to give it to the junkyard, so they gave it to the church. So the church could take it to the junkyard. And, and I would always think of Malachi 1.8. You know what I never saw? Somebody saying, you know, I could go for a couple more years with this banged up beater of a car and I'll give the new one to the church. Almost, almost never happened. But the point isn't who gives or who. It's the attitude of the heart. God says, why you give me your junk? I want the best. Why do you give me what's left over? I want the best that you have to give. When they were to bring an offering to God, it was to be a male, the best, without blemish, perfect, the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice. That was what he gave, right? 
If we want to experience communion with God, we got to start realizing that God wants our best, not what's left. He doesn't want just the afterthought. And for, for a long time in my life, that's pretty much what God got, was whatever was left. Think about how, well, I think about how I used to do devotions. This is how devotions would go. I was busy, I get up in the morning, usually, you know, I got five minutes to be wherever I'm supposed to be. So I jump up, get ready, jump in a car, take off. I'd go work, work my work day, come home, take care of the, the problems at home, what kid got in trouble, who got suspended, whatever stuff was, was happening at the house. You know, spend some time talking with Kathy. The day winds down. I go to bed and I try to do my devotion. I give God what's left. It's wrong. He says, I want the first. I want the, the best, not what's left. I lay down in bed and start to pray. You know how long it is before I'm asleep? And if I let Kathy pray first, it's over. If Kathy prays first, Jackie's not praying. Because I'll be asleep before she ever gets to amen. I don't want to give God what's left. He gave his best. If we have that understanding, what is it that this sacrifice is speaking of? A sacrifice of commitment, right? It's a burnt offering. You're either committed. You've got to be committed to do that. So it's a sacrifice. Was Jesus committed? Totally, completely, utterly committed for us. Utterly dedicated. And then I think God's speaking to you and I. That's what I want from you. That's what I want in our relationship. Not just the leftovers. But I want, I want the primary place. I want that first place. And it would be without blemish. Perfect. But then look at this, and he will offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Whose choice was the offering? His. You could give or you could not give. Whose choice is it for us? Are, do, do we make a choice whether we're going to be committed to the Lord, or we're going to be dedicated to him or not? Did Jesus have that same choice? In the Garden of Gethsemane, in Gatshmone, he said... If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Just so you know, in the Greek, that's a first-class condition, which means it is possible. It was possible for him to say, forget it, I'm out of here. (laughs) But that's not what he said, right? He said, nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. Submitting himself totally to the Father, completely dedicated, completely committed so that he would become that perfect burnt offering for us. It's a choice. There's a choice wrapped up in the matter. Then he will put his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. The transference of guilt. They learned about the transference of guilt. My guilt goes on innocent animal. Animal didn't do none of my sins. I did. And because they learned that, they would understand when John looked at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That he who knew no sin would become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. So that transference that takes place, my sin is imputed to him and his righteousness is imputed to me. That is mind-boggling. 
But God taught it in Leviticus. Hey, you put your hand on the head. Now, did sin magically go through their body and shoot into the animal? No. What's going on is he's giving them the picture. This is looking forward. And so God covered their sins looking forward to the cross. For you and I, we look back to the cross and we see that covering, that that thing that is done. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's you and I putting our hands on him and transferring our sin. I believe. He died for me to make me right. And then look at what it says in verse 5. He will kill the bull before the Lord. Who crucified Jesus? I did. You did. We all did. One of the things I liked that in, in many of the in many of the interviews Mel Gibson did during the time of the Passion, they they were constantly asking him. They're trying to say that he was saying by what the scriptures taught that we're blaming the Jews for the crucifixion of Christ. The reason they were doing that is because during the 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 Middle Ages, they did what was called passion plays, and the passion plays would usually incite anger against the Christ killers, and people would go around wanting to kill Jews. So the Jews are were frustrated or upset about who, well, you're saying that it's our fault, that it's our fault. Mel Gibson said in the interview, if you look, it's his hand that's driving the nail in Jesus' hand. He's saying, I'm the one who crucified him. The point is in the sacrifice, the one whose sin was transferred was the one who took the life. It's important for us to realize. For me, he died. I put him there. I'm responsible. And that's what was being shown here. Then look what happened. Aaron's sons bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And then they will skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. Why they cut it into pieces? Well, how was Jesus? He was cut into pieces. He was divided. He was pulled apart. You could probably see clean through him when he was offered up. So they're picturing him. They're picturing Christ in every aspect of every offering. It's a picture of what Jesus Christ did for us. What you and I can't grasp because we don't see the horror of it. We don't see, we don't see this animal that we just walk down to the temple being torn apart, being cut into pieces and thrown up on the altar and just burned. But that would help us gain the grasp of the awfulness of sin. What did sin do? Sin destroys. But God saves. And all the way through, that's what the Lord is showing them. The sons of Aaron, the priests, will put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. And the priests, Aaron's sons, will lay the parts, the head, the fat, in order on the wood uh, that is on the that is on the fire upon the altar. But he will wash its entrails and its legs with water. What? You know why? Because his inward parts were pure. His walk was pure. Perfect. Everything inside and out was perfect. You're going to see them do this over and over and over again in the sacrifices. 
washing the entrails, washing the legs, because the walk of Jesus Christ is perfect. Just as that that animal is innocent of the sin that is being transferred upon it from the man, that's what he's picturing as he washes, as the priest washes, he's reminded. He's reminded of that innocence. He's reminded of the purity of walk. And that's what it's pointing to in Christ. And the priest will burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Folks, the Bible tells us, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship or your reasonable service. What's he saying? Folks, we can't offer ourselves to God. You're either a sacrifice or you're not a sacrifice. There's no half sacrifice. Lord, I'll sacrifice my right hand. That's not a sacrifice. He wants it all. What did he give? He surrendered everything. Was there anything? Just considering what God did for us. Doesn't it blow your mind that God in the heavens, dwelling outside of time, knowing past, present, and future, all at the same time, and then that's wrong, because there is no time where he is, but being able to see it all, know it all, be it all, then confines himself in a little baby and has to suckle on his mother's breast to stay alive? Doesn't that blow your mind? That God would do this, that God would come to that place? It is, to me, mind-boggling just what he gave to come. He gave it all. Nothing left to give. Everything that he had. So he's all poured out. Everything. We want to surrender it all. If the offering is of the flocks of the sheep or the goats as a burnt sacrifice, what will he do? Brings a male without blemish. Same deal. And he will kill it on the north side of the altar. Interesting point. If you went to the altar of the temple and you went north, you know what you would come to? A little place known as Golgotha. The place of the skull. When you sacrificed on the north side, you sacrificed on the same side toward which the hill on which God would offer his only begotten son. The same place. You're going to offer him up on the north side. There, pointing toward Golgotha. Before the Lord, the priest Aaron's son will sprinkle its blood all around the altar. And it again is cut into pieces with its head and its fat. And the priest will lay it in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. As you're thinking about this, as you're considering this sacrifice, hold your finger here and flip to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah. We're going to look at chapter 52 and chapter 53. First, we'll look at 53. Isaiah 53. Verse 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, but he opened not his mouth. He was led as a what? A lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So if the offering is going to be of the flock, you're going to bring it there, you're going to take it to the north side. It's a picture of Christ. It's a picture of Jesus, a picture of what he's done for us. We look at uh, verse 14 of chapter 52 in Isaiah. 
Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will consider. I am uh, amazed. I am amazed that there are people who can believe Jesus was just another man. Just a good guy, all around good guy. You know, he come and he served and, and he never left his hometown. He never left his home country. He never did anything great, wasn't a ruler, wasn't in charge of anything, never led a revolt, never led a battle. He spoke a few things and here we are more than 2,000 years later still studying him because he's so much more than just a man. So much more. When we look at what the scriptures lay out for us in Leviticus, we don't want to lose sight of what Jesus Christ did for us in the sacrifice. We don't want to lose sight of him being cut into pieces. But he will, again, wash the entrails on the legs with water. Why? Because his life and his walk was pure, without blemish, perfect. And how much was given? All of it, everything. All of it on the offering, all of it burnt, total and complete commitment. Then in verse 14... He goes on, now, if the burnt offering, uh, or I'm sorry, if the burnt sacrifice of this offering to the Lord is of birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or young pigeons. Now, what did that mean? Each step goes down the poverty scale. The rich would offer the bull. The poor would offer the, 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 the lamb or the, or the goat. The very poor would offer, offer turtle doves or pigeons. Now, think about it. What did Jesus' parents offer at the sacrifice when he came to the temple? Do you remember? Two young turtle doves. Apparently they didn't understand the posterity doctrine of the world today that if you're doing what God wants you to do, you're supposed to be rich. Because then they would have offered bulls. But the parents who were picked among men to be most blessed of women... And most honored of men to have the responsibility to watch over the Son of God, they gave two turtle doves. That's where they were. It's all good. God provided for everyone. For everyone. Rich, middle, poor. Everyone had an opportunity to see the picture. What would happen? Look at this. Look at what would happen to him. Said the priest will bring it to the altar and wring off its head. And burn it on the altar. Its blood will be drained on the side of the altar. And he shall remove its crop with its feathers. Cast it beside the altar on the east side into the place for ashes. And he will split it with its wings. But he will not divide it completely. He's going to take it, split it, and open it up. What does that look like to you? This bird with its wings outspread. Wings dislocated, but bones not broken. Man, Psalm 22, the Lord said, not one bone will be broken. But when we consider the passion of the Christ, yet again, you remember when Jesus was getting on the cross and they couldn't quite stretch his hand over to the side where they were going to drive that other spike in? You remember how they did it? They pulled him 
his shoulder out of socket. Do you know that Psalm 22 says, all my bones are out of joint. Spread open, but not broken. Why would not one bone be broken? Do you realize where's blood produced in the body? It's produced in the bone. A broken bone would speak of the lack of blood, inability to cover. So not one bone was broken because in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, there's enough blood to cover us all. Not one bone broken. Even in this sacrifice of the bird, even in the way that they did it, don't you see them pointing to Jesus Christ? Don't you see the the evidence of what he would be and what he would accomplish for them? It says, this is an offering made by fire, sweet aroma to the Lord. So the first of the offerings, the burnt offering, it speaks of utter and complete total commitment to God. It was voluntarily given. Who took Jesus' life? Nobody took it. He gave it. He gave it. It was to be of a being that was obedient to men. We see Jesus as the burnt offering because of his total dedication. Yet, if we want to have communion with him, are we going to come to him with less? Do we really think we're going to enter into that, that place of worship, that place of communion, that place of oneness with Jesus Christ by just being partially committed? Man, we want to enter in just like he entered in for us. Then in chapter 2, we begin the, the, to look at the grain offering, the grain offering, the second offering. When anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering will be a fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. Well, what's this all about? Do you know how they made fine flour? They sifted it. And they sifted it. And then they sifted it some more. Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? When Peter was boasting about how strong his walk was and how he was going to stand by Jesus even if everyone else didn't, he said, Peter, Satan has asked that he would what? Sift you like wheat. And Jesus said, I'm not going to let him. Oh, he didn't say that. He said, when you have returned, strengthen the brethren. What's that mean? I'm going to let him sift you. I'm going to let him sift you. What about for Jesus? If the picture of the grain offering is a picture of Jesus Christ, was he sifted? When Jesus went down into the Jordan to be baptized, and and he was baptized by his, his cousin, John the Baptist, where did he go right after that? Into the wilderness, right? 40 days and 40 nights. What was going on? Sifting. Is that the end of his sifting? No, it's going to last for three years. For three years, he's going to be sifted. He's going to be sifted because he is going to become the finest, purest, most costly of all the grain given. In order to give this grain offering, it was the best you had. Sifted, the finest, the be- and then what did they do to it next? Pour oil on it. What's oil? 
All throughout the Bible, oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was baptized, what do we see descend upon him as a dove? Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit. Jesus provides for you and I the perfect example of what a man can accomplish, totally controlled by the Holy Spirit. In the great kenosis, the great emptying of Philippians chapter 2, it says to us this, Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus our Lord, who, being the very form of God, that means being God of very God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, that means he was equal in deity, divinity, and in every way. Being equal with God, he what? Emptied himself. He emptied himself. What did he empty himself of? He didn't empty himself of his deity. He didn't empty himself of his, of his godliness. He set aside his power to do things himself as God. And he walked in obedience to men and trusted in the power of the Holy Spirit and the words of the Father to do everything he did. When I looked at the life of Jesus Christ, I used to say, well, of course he did all those things. He was God. You ever felt that way? Well, of course he was, he was lived sinless life. He's God. No, he's the second Adam. Yeah, true. He is God of very God, but he relied on whose power? His own? In a sense, because he's part of the Trinity, but not his own, the Holy Spirit. He said, no, I do the things the Father gives me to do. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he did the works. That he, that's why Jesus could say to you and I, these things which you have seen me do and greater you can do. Why did he say that? Because he was walking just as we can. If we choose, we can walk in that same submission, that same commitment, that level of commitment that we see in him. We see pictured in the grain offering, the sifting, but still he's given totally, completely. Still he's that sacrifice. Even though he sifted, even though they poured oil upon him. And then we have the frankincense. What was frankincense for? Frankincense for what was an incense that was used in prayer. That was about prayer. So what do we see poured into him? We see him sifted, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and intercessory prayer. You find a day Jesus wasn't praying. Just find one. Find a day when he was too tired to begin his day with prayer. Or too wore out to finish his day with prayer. Find a time in his walk upon this earth where he didn't rise up early in the morning so that he could go and spend time with the Father. If Jesus Christ, being God of very God, man of very man, found it necessary to begin every single day in communion with his Father, how much more important is it for you and me? Yet, it's probably one of the most neglected areas of our walk. Man, I want to be committed to the Lord Then I need to realize this is a part of that sacrifice that we're called to, isn't it? It was part of the sacrifice. Points to Jesus. We see Jesus very clearly in it. So what do we need to realize? We're going to be sifted, folks. Sifting comes. It's going to happen. 
But we need to have the oil poured in. We need to be covered and bathed and, and anointed in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to be given to prayer. The frankincense, that, that incense that speaks of intercessory prayer going up. And then what would take place? They will bring it to Aaron's sons and the priests, one of whom will take from it his handful of the flour and the oil and the frankincense, and the priest will burn it as a memorial on the offer or on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And the rest of the grain offering will be Aaron's and his sons. It is most holy. God says that's most holy. That sifted wheat, that sifted flour of of the life of Christ, that sifted flour of, of our life, that anointing of the Holy Spirit, that commitment in prayer, that dedication to God to be offered as a sacrifice. And the Lord says that the priest would take a handful of it and he would burn that and the rest would belong to him. The rest would belong to the priest. True acceptance that every single part of us belongs to God. Every part. Well, he, he took some and burned it, but the rest he utilized. There was a point. There was a purpose. There was a plan. There was something that it would all go into. Even in the life of Christ, in his dedication, in his sifting, in the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and the work of intercessory prayer that he still does. He gave everything. He gave all. We want to give everything. We want to give all. We want to reach this level of commitment and realize that every single part of us belongs to God. When we look at this, if we'll back up and look at it, what do we see? The absolute perfection of Jesus Christ. The absolute perfection of this grain offering. And that, that perfect sacrifice that he is, that he gives, that he brings. But look, as we, as we take a look, as we continue on, he goes on and says, now, in verse 5, if your offering is a grain offering baked in a pan, it will be fine flour, unleavened, mixed with oil, and you will break it in pieces. There it is again. Now listen, this sacrifice is sacrifice a grain offering already cooked. The first sacrifice, he had all the separate parts. You with me? Flour, oil, frankincense. But this one, maybe you were a little bit poorer, and so you would bake it, and you would bring it baked. And when you brought it baked, they would still anoint it with oil. They would still have frankincense on it. All those same parts are a part of it. But what they do? They broke it in pieces. Why? Because he was broken for us. When Jesus lifted the bread at the Last Supper with the disciples, what did he say about the bread? This is my body broken for you. And he broke it. The same thing in the grain, in the grain offering. The same thing being painted for us in a picture as this offering is being given. But look, they're going to break it in pieces, pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. If your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan, it's made of fine flour with oil. And you will bring the grain offering uh, that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he will bring it to the altar. And the priest will take from the grain offering a memorial portion and burn it on the altar. Same thing. He'd break it up. He'd take some of it and he'd throw it on the altar. But all of it was consecrated to God. All of it was for use uh, by the Lord. What is left of the grain offering will be Aaron and his sons. 
It is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. Most holy to the Lord. Now listen to this. No grain offering which you bring to the Lord will be made with leaven. Why? Because leaven is sin. Leaven is sin. It puffs up. It builds up. It blows up. It, 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 it corrupts the sacrifice. So there will be no leaven. No leaven. Again, what's the point behind the leaven? Picturing, understanding the, the horrible cost of sin. The horrible thing that sin does, that sin rots. But look at this. And uh, uh, no grain offering will be made leaven, for you shall burn no leaven. What's the other part? Nor any honey in any offering to the Lord made by fire. Huh, that's weird. Why no honey? Because honey breaks up in heat. And God doesn't want anything that's going to break up in heat. The refiner's fire working in our life, what does it do? It burns away the junk, right? And it leaves behind the pure, the perfect, the beautiful. So it is when we look at this offering. Don't put any honey in that. Don't put honey in because it can't stand the heat. So no honey. No honey. God's going to turn up the heat. He's going he's to pour on that heat upon his son. And his son is going to pass the test because there's nothing within him that's just going to fizzle out in, the, in that extreme heat. It's just going to burn away in that furnace. It's going to be pure, acceptable, and most holy unto him. So we see unblemished, no leaven, no honey. As for the offering of the first fruits, you will offer them to the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. Now, we're talking about a grain offering, but a grain offering of first fruits. It's different than the grain burn offering. We got the burnt offering. We have the animal we talked about. The grain offering, which is another type of burnt offering, total consecration, dedication to the Lord. Both of them looking to Christ. Now, and he makes a side note about the, the offering of first fruits, which, by the way, means what it says. Not the first fruits you feel like giving, but the first fruits. Okay, the offering of first fruits. It's not going to be burnt like this. Why? Well, look at Jesus Christ. He was burnt one time. These are not burnt. Because Jesus is still not suffering. He is now what? Glorified. Burnt once. He was offered once. Sacrificed one time. Glorified now. Glorified now. What was he? Jesus Christ is become our first fruits. The first fruits from the dead. That first resurrection. That gift. Did God give us just what was left? Well, you know, I've been working all this creation and, and keeping the world happening and, and, you know, making the animals all happy. Ooh, I've been doing all this stuff, so I'm just going to give you what's left. And he gave his first. And that's what he calls from us. To give our first. Our best. So when you give the first fruit, look at this. You offer them to the Lord, but they will not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. And every offering of your grain offering will be seasoned 
with salt. That's strange. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. What is a salt covenant? What is that all about? What is, what is, doesn't make any sense. We read it and it, and, and I knew Leviticus was going to be like this. Well, let's look. Numbers 18, 19. We flip over to Numbers 18, 19. Let's read it. It says, All the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer to the Lord, I have given to you, your sons and daughters, with you as an ordinance forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord with you and your descendants with you. So in Numbers, he talks again. It's a covenant of salt. It's a covenant of salt. What is salt? Salt's a preservative, right? Salt keeps things from spoiling, keeps things from rotting. But listen, we see the Bible talking about this covenant of salt. Let's find it. Let's define it. Let's go to the book of Colossians. Colossians. We all like going to Colossians. You know that Gentiles ate pork chops. That's how you find Colossians. That's how I do it. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Gentiles eat pork chops. Hey, that's how I got through Bible college. <laughs> Galatians, Gentiles, G. Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, eight, eat, eat, E-A-T. Philippians, P, pork chops. C, Colossians. That's how I know those four go together. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Gentiles, eat pork chops. Huh? They eat, pork, they eat popcorn? Goats do? I guess you could say goats eat popcorn. I like Gentiles better, but okay. All right. So Colossians chapter 4. See how these people get me sidetracked? <laughs> Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech, what? Always be with grace and what? Season with salt. That you may know how you ought to answer each one. Let your speech always be with grace. And then what does he say? Season with salt. What does salt do? It gives us flavor. What does salt do? It preserves from corruption. And it is a picture for you and me of grace. Listen, here's what the salt covenant of salt was all about. Even in those days, in that society, when two guys would come together, they really became one in their agreement when they shared a meal together and one ate the other's salt. He was experiencing that person's grace, their flavor, what they're all about. Only in this sense, we're talking about God. We're talking about God saying, hey, season everything with salt. Season it all with salt. That it's going to be preserved. That it's going to have its flavor. And that flavor is constantly going to be a picture of grace. The grace of God is in every single sacrifice. Because God didn't have to cover anything, did he? But he chose to cover. And what did it say in Colossians 4, 6? Let your speech always be with, seasoned with grace, seasoned with salt. He's defining, he's given us that point that we can see, that we can apply. Okay, what's the covenant of salt? 
It's speaking of having grace. You mean way back in the Old Testament? Sure. How was it that anyone was saved? Because of their works and how good they did all these things? They're saved by grace through faith, just like we are today. God says he is immutable. I change not. Same God of the Old Testament is still God in the New. Same grace that saves in the New still saved in the old. This is the point. This is the picture that he's laying out for us. Verse 14, if you offer a grain offering of your first fruits to the Lord, you will offer for the grain offering your first green heads of grain roasted on the fire, grain beaten from the full heads, the first that you had. Now, a lot of people point to this as corn, that this would have been uh, the corn harvest. Doesn't necessarily have to be, but that, that's the concept, that they would bring the very first that they would beat out the, the heads of grain and roast it on a fire. And you will put what? Oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. And the priest will burn the memorial portion, uh, part of the beaten grain, part with its oil and with the frankincense as an offering made by fire to the Lord. So they pour out this perfect given offering that speaks of, again, dedication. The burnt offering points to dedication. The grain offering to dedication. The first fruits, though, had to be your first fruits. If you're going to give your grain offering of your first fruits, the best, the first, the primary, whatever comes in first. Kathy and I made a commitment, I don't even know, a long time ago. We went through a bunch of craziness. We lost everything. We lost a house, we lost cars, we lost boats, we lost anything that the guys in the fancy black suits and the dark sunglasses wanted to take. And we started over. And as we worked through all those things, as we started over, I had lived my life up to that point with me first. And that wasn't working out, obviously. So we decided that we were going to go from that point forward with God first, on whatever aspect. For us, it was God first with our offerings, God first with the tithe, God first in consideration of our time, God first in, in you know, how we want to begin our day and how we want to move forward. Now, have we been perfect in that? No. But we make a commitment. This is what we want. This is what it needs to be. He needs to have that place of primary. Why? Because that's the place he fulfilled for me. Don't you see? There's no greater example of dedication than you're going to see from the life of Jesus Christ. And if I want to commune with him, I I talk to people all the time. Oh, you know, I just really want to be in that closer place with the Lord. I just really want to get deep into the deep things of God. You know, when, when the writer of Hebrews talks about the deep things of God, you know what he talks about teaching the people? He talks about teaching them about Melchizedek. You know where Melchizedek is? Genesis 14. Old Testament. Delving in to the deep things of God. Understanding the deep things that he has. Listen, if I want to go forward with God, I want to commune with him. I want to understand all of those things because that's a foreshadowing of the story. Do you know that? You ever try to watch a movie where you missed the first half hour? And you're going, what is going on? Kathy does that to me all the time. I'll sit down. She's busy doing the 
the things she does, whatever they are. And they're necessary things. I'm sure I should probably be doing them. But I was tired or whatever. I sat down and started watching. 30 minutes later, she'll sit down. So what's going on? Really? I will have to pause and talk to you for a half hour to tell you about all the foreshadowing. And that's just a dumb TV show. What about our relationship with God? What about understanding all the things that God's doing in our life? Doesn't he foreshadow all that for us? Doesn't he provide all those pictures for us? Doesn't he tell us exactly who he is and what he's doing by what he's done? And he lays it all out for us. I want that communion. I want that relationship. I want to see his face. I want to hear his voice in my heart, in my life. I want to feel his direction. Then follow his example. Holy given. Completely surrendered. He wants it all. That's all. But in that total surrender, don't you see, in that total surrender, then you, like Moses, will see him face to face. Because that's what it was all about. I want to see him face to face. I want to see him in that place. Complete surrender. Total dedication. I challenge you tonight. Here. What the scripture says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, Paul wrote it, by the mercies of God, present yourself a living sacrifice. Give it all. Climb up on the altar and allow God to do that perfect work in you and experience what's been missing since Genesis chapter 3. Allow God to walk with you in the cool of the evening. Give him the first of your day, of your time, of every aspect of your life that he's calling for. Give him first. And watch him open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing that you can't even contain it because you've reached that pinnacle of dedication to him. Amen? Stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just come before you this evening. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would uh, just help us to apply the truth of this book written to the called. That we, as your called, would say, wow, look, God, look what you're saying. You're saying you're calling us to a life of dedication. You're calling us to follow the example, the utter dedication of Jesus Christ. May we choose, Lord. So many things we can do in our life. So many things we can do with our day. So many ways that we can turn. But let us not make you the afterthought. We want you to be the first thought. The primary person in our life. Because in that place, we will have communion. We will be holy. Even as you are holy. So, Lord, we pray that your spirit would move in this place tonight. Lord, draw us close. As we just set aside just a moment, uh, as we close in worship, Lord, we pray, God, that as we focus in on you, as we look to you, God, that you would find that place in our life, that we would make that moment of dedication to you, and that we would do it 
as often as we need to until you come. So, Lord, as we look towards you, we ask your blessing, your anointing in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.